Keith, we're going to skip to the John reading, if you can, please. John 17, starting at the sixth verse, is what is sometimes called Jesus' farewell discourse. In other words, he is saying goodbye to the world and most specifically to his disciples. And here he stops to pray. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given is from me. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them. And they have received them and know in truth that they came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one, as we are one. And while I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them that not one of them was lost, except the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them to you your, your word, and the world has hated them, because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I am asking you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they may be sanctified in truth. And then 1 John, of course, 1 John is all about love, tries to figure out how many different ways he can say love one another as God has first loved you. And here he says this, If we receive human testimony, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he has testified to his Son. Those who believe in the Son of God have the testimony in their hearts. Those who do not believe in God have made him a liar by not believing in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And this is the testimony. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. 
Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. A statement we hear all the time, especially following mass killings and natural disasters and senseless violence. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. A statement so benign as to render it controversial. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. A statement so ingrained in our contemporary culture that, get this, it has its own Wikipedia entry. You might have heard some popular memes about this. Keep your thoughts and prayers. I want action. Keep your thoughts and prayers. I want justice. Keep your thoughts and prayers. I want my dead child back. Particularly, it seems... These cries come when long-delayed changes in legislation that at least appear to be helps to the injustices perpetuated in the world never seem to come. Keep your thoughts and prayers. Life is too hard for me to believe that they do me any good anyway. Now, this is not new to the human condition. In the New Testament, at the forming of the early church, the book of James reminds us, faith without works is dead. Addressing the same controversy. And millennia before that, the book of Job considers how a good and just God can allow bad things to happen to the children God loves. It is perhaps the greatest test of faith to ensure faith remains in the midst of pain and human suffering. Today, Jesus stops in the midst of his farewell discourse to pray for his disciples. Yes, Jesus indeed has much to do before he enters Jerusalem to face arrest and beatings, and humiliation, and even death. But he nonetheless pauses to pray, to pray for those whom he loves. Jesus knows full well that pain will come soon enough. And yet he takes time to engage in the act that changes life. Prayer. This, in terms of classic spirituality, is called intercessory prayer, when one intercedes or prays on behalf of another. And what we know from these times is that sometimes the prayer's perspective, and sometimes from the perspective of the one being prayed for, sometimes prayer just doesn't seem to be enough. Especially when we don't receive that miraculous 
healing or our loved one never returns to us. Pain calls for action. But still in Jesus' example today, he stops to pray. Maybe some of you have been in a position to have a community of people praying for you after, for example, an illness or the passing of a loved one. Many people in those situations report that they can actually feel God's presence in the prayers of the people surrounding them as their lives bend closer to God. We used to, in the Presbyterian Church, have a book that we published called the Mission Yearbook of Prayer. And the missionaries from around the world would have a day when we were to pray for them. And they would say, even without knowing which date was theirs to have people be in prayer for them, that they could feel the prayers of the Church of God lifting them up. Pastor Matt Rich is wise on this front. He says this, To pray is to long for a connection with something bigger than ourselves. It is to recognize that you and I cannot face the world alone. It is to admit that you and I do not have all the answers, all the wisdom, all the grace, all the love, all the care that we need to make it through the day much less tomorrow or the day after that. To pray is is not to convince God to do something for us. To pray is to change our hearts, to give our hearts, to give our very selves to God. I can't tell you the number of times that I have participated in some sort of social justice activity or political action forum where I walked away when it was all over thinking there was absolutely no vertical focus here. None. We're gathered together in some state, some great conclave of minds or community of actions, actors to change the whole world. But it is almost as if we forgot to let God in on it. Friends, let me tell you, you can't change the world without changing your own heart. And you can't change your heart without turning it toward God. You know, I've spent my entire adult life trying to change the lot in the world for women and children, particularly those abused and neglected. I am the first person to say action matters in the midst of human suffering. But if we think we can improve the world for someone else, we're in big trouble. 
And if we think we can prove anything at all without God's help, we're nearly doomed. God moves us to sympathy and empathy and action for others. And it's only through prayer that we know that. John Calvin said this of prayer. It must arise not only because we feel our own need as a burden we must lay upon God, but also because we are so bound up in love for others that we feel their need as acutely as we do our own. To make intercession for others is the most powerful and practical way in which we can express our own love for them. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. Not because we devalue your pain. Not because we don't know what else to say or do. Not because that is some benign platitude. But because we love you. 